I'm Bubbles the Clown, and you're listening to the Talk Carby to Me podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, like I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I saw, I just see Kev's story, and his dog is just inside of his like glass windowed baller fridge. <laughs> like, Ooh, you have a glass window fridge. We just got it. Um, yeah. Uh, long story short, my wife's uh, family bought a fridge for their rental property, measured it, it fit. But then when you open the doors, it didn't fit because the doors make it wider. So they're like, we need to get rid of this. They couldn't return it because there was a scratch on it. So um, after the Boston Spartan race the other day, I was riding back with our friend, our uh, Anthony knows him, our friend Kevin Downhill, who has a pickup truck. And uh, my wife's like, hey, can you swing by the rental house and grab the new fridge? And I get there, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to go in a pickup truck. There's a glass space. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Uh, so we put it in my in my living room, and then my wife was trying to figure out how to like double tap to turn the light on inside that you can see through the window. And uh, I was like, "Well, if I put the dog in there, and she finally figures it out, it's gonna scare her, and that'd be funny." But she wouldn't go away. So eventually, I just like got her away, got the dog, gathered it, put the dog in the in the fridge, and then <laughs> just happened to capture her reaction. So I'll send you the video. How how long is the dog in the fridge? And less than five minutes. Yeah. We'll take she, it. She's yeah. She was fine with it. She she's a great dog. She lets me do whatever I want. We pre- she has a one white paw and three black paws. So Aww. we posed her with a white claw before and tried to get a sponsorship, but that didn't work. Dude, that um, would be that would be sick. That would be super <laughs> we, cool. Try many things. Yeah, that's super cool. Glass fridge, no pressure. Oh, <laughs> cute. So so your your logo for underdog is actually your dog. Correct. One of my two dogs, our Boston yeah. Terrier. And, uh, and for those when I got, can... oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. For those who can't see, it's like a Boston Terrier. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So cute. And it's the size of the entire front of the shirt. So <laughs> when I talk to the designer, I'm like, I want something obnoxiously huge, very bright, very in your face. And here's a hundred pictures of my dog smiling. So just put something up like that. I want it to be fun and entertaining. And they, they came through. Our race jerseys are incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I got one of the tank tops. I was fortunate enough to get some merch. Uh, it's pretty solid. I like it. With the dog? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so welcome to the Talk Carby to Me podcast. Our guest today is my good friend, Kevin Gregory, a.k.a. Bubbles the Clown. Um, and as always, we are joined by Sandra. So welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. You let me know which voice you want me to use at what times, and that way I can uh, keep the keep the guests guessing. Well, well, we had the Kevin the Kevin voice there. Can we get the bubbles voice here? Sure thing. Hi everyone, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here with Anthony and Sandra talking carbs and getting ready for lunch today. White rice. I'm a very carby kind of guy. I guess that's why I'm here. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I love it. Yeah. So. That, that voice gets me every time. So we'll obviously get into a little bit more about Bubbles the Clown and his origin. So how's, how's your guys' week been going? Uh, it's been going great. I uh, raced the Spartan Fenway Park race uh, this past weekend. It rained, which was, it was, uh, it was fun, but usually Fenway Park's about like 30 degrees and dry and freezing. So the fact that it was like 65 degrees and raining was completely different for that venue uh, makes makes a difference when all the concrete is completely wet and you're trying to turn on a dime. So 
Uh, saw a couple people fall, get some road rash, but overall, fun time. Good to see everybody in the Northeast coming out for one of the last races of the season. Yeah, it's been a that's awesome. I, I've always that Boston's one of the ones that I've always wanted to do. Um, I think next year I'm going to put that on my agenda. Obviously, I haven't run many races in the back half of this year due to some lingering foot problems, but uh, I'll be back out there uh, next year. Excited to go. Kind of what we're going to go through today. Um, we're going to talk about some holiday eating. Obviously, we have Thanksgiving coming up here in a week. We're going to go into what it looks like um, when you have your nutrition plan. Uh, you start working out and stuff like that, or maybe you're in a routine already. You've been on a you know pretty solid nutrition run, um, and you also have a good workout program, and you start adding in some running, or maybe you're looking to become an endurance athlete. We're going to go into a lot of that and what kind of changes we would recommend that you make and some best practices um, from both of us. One thing I, that I've been thinking about lately, and I don't know why, and I think it's it's another one of those things where I'm dating myself. I've been thinking a lot about uh, in the industry for you know fitness and nutrition, Tamagotchis. What's the meme? I have to know. Well, the meme is uh, the Tom the the Fitbit is the 2022 Tamagotchi, except the creature you're trying to keep alive is now you. Oh, that's Ex good. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, I've been reading a lot this year. That's been one of my things that like, hey, I'm going to get into some reading. So uh, going through and one of the books that I've kind of read through, I haven't finished it, uh, but I've gotten through a good meat of it uh, is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. One of them is take care of yourself as if you're responsible, take care of yourself as if you're someone you're responsible for. Right. Um, and I think when you look at like fitness and nutrition, I think that us as trainers, uh, and coaches, like we kind of instinctively already do that. But it got me thinking about like Tamagotchi and stuff like that. And kind of looking at that, like there was no shot. My Tamagotchi was dying, like come hell or high water. Like this thing was staying alive. It, we were getting done what we needed to get done. Um, and I think it's so fascinating that for everyone, um, it may, even I can see your faces as I kind of go through that, like, yeah, ha like, absolutely. That thing is not dying. And if it did, that was like horrible. Like, I'm, like, like, how, how could I live with myself? And you look at where we are as we age and we kind of disassociate ourselves from that and that kind of treatment of ourselves. So that's something that I've kind of like just been a thought that's just been floating around in my head lately. That's a good way of looking at like yourself, be your own Tamagotchi. Yeah. So like when you look at things like I've got pain in an area in my body or I don't feel good or, you know, I'm achy and stuff like that. It's like, if you had, let's just take it into a real version. Let's say you had a child and your child's like, Hey, I'm in pain all the time. Like you would do something to address the pain. Uh, but when we look at ourselves, like it's one, it's one of those things where we just don't have that self-care factor there to it. Um, and I think that's a great, it's one of the early lessons, I think in any kind of client coach relationship where there's a lot to be gained there and kind of like that realization. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, uh, as a trainer myself, you see that all the time. Like people come to you and have problems or they have a goal often scale related and the more you dig in with them and the more, I mean, as a, as a veteran trainer, and well, you work in the gym too, Sandra, I just, I know you're a dietitian, but I think you do personal training too. So yeah. either way, you, you don't just take the surface of what they tell you and like, okay, that's, that's what it is. You dig in and you learn about their foundations and kind of try to figure out what got them there. And it's easy for you to identify all the problems because it's the same stuff for everybody. They just don't realize it, but that's why they're hiring you to give them perspective. And a lot of times it comes back to, I'm too busy because I have X, Y, Z to do with my kids or whatever. And 
I don't even know how many times I've said, but, well, don't you want to be around for your kids? Because the way you're living right now, you're not going to be around very long. It's not something that you really want to say on day one, but once you build rapport with them, you have like the right to tell them that. And that kind of makes them take a step back and realize like, oh, you're right. I'm, I, I, I do want to be alive for my kids. I don't want to die at 50 of a heart attack because I'm eating crap all the time because I'm trying to rush my kids around to soccer practice and gymnastics and swimming and I'm not eating anything and then I'm in a hurry. So then I'm eating McDonald's or whatever. And then like, all right, well, you're not exercising because of the same excuse. You're not eating for the same excuse. And then you're just at the mercy of everybody else. But I always uh, share the analogy of when you're on an airplane, they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping others. And um, that really resonates with me because you try to save everybody. But if you're dead and you don't like take care of yourself first, your ability to uh, serve others and help others is very limited. So, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of times, like we work very much with individuals who kind of forget to prioritize themselves, and then they start realizing that they have to. That's why they come to see you. But even that transition to having to take more care of themselves, like that's really hard because you have such a lifestyle built around about you not always putting yourself first. And having to do that requires a lot of restructuring. And that can be really hard for a lot of people. Everyone wants change. No one wants to go through change. Exactly. <laughs> change is yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, change, change is tough. I think, and speaking of change too, and like all three of us have worked in commercial gyms, right? So Kevin touched on a great point there. Like you got to take care of yourself to be able to take care of other people. And I think in commercial gyms specifically, obviously it's a business, right? We want volume. We want training volume and stuff like that. And a lot of times like we can, it can be lost on like, Hey, this is a person training a person and we've got to take care of the person. And even as a trainer, that's up and coming, looking to get busy, you know, you'd like to have a uh, better income um, and things like that and have, you know, start your career and things like that. It's easy to forget that you have to take care of yourself and make sure that you're in a position where you can do that. Uh, one thing for me personally, since I transitioned from a commercial gym to kind of doing my own training company, uh, I'm in a position where I can, I, I can focus more. Uh, my clients, their goals uh, in the session. I'm not worried about a meeting that's coming, you know, two days later or the next day. I'm not worrying about a random, you know, one o'clock cleaning time. Shout out to the homies. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm really just locked in and focused and I can work in a capacity that like I know that I can be my best and my clients will get the most out of me uh, because I'm not, you know, going bell to bell, um, you know, nine, 10 clients in a row. Uh, and that's been a huge like kind of eye opening shift for me. Yeah, I like what you said there because uh, I've also been in that boat before and made the same transition. And it's so much easier. You're more relaxed than you actually, your capacity, your bandwidth, <laughs> it's limited. So if you're cramming eight, 10 clients into your capacity or bandwidth, you're, they get a very small sliver of you and you don't have time to think about their situation. You wake up in the morning, like, all right, I got to train these 10 people. You're not giving them the the thought that they deserve and everything. And you can't, think you're not going to think creatively on how to solve their problems or what the next approach to, to overcoming their challenges is going to be when you have 10 people in a row and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get to go to the bathroom today because this person is always on time and this person's always on time and this person's late. Maybe I'll get a, get a break in there. Maybe I'll have a sip of water here. I'll eat some chicken out of my pocket over at this time while they're like on Jacob's ladder and they can't see me or something. But uh, yeah, once you transition to, doing your own thing, you kind of have a lot more flexibility in your schedule and then you can, it's easier to prioritize yourself. But I think 
we wouldn't have made that jump if we didn't have the foresight to know that we were neglecting ourselves before. And that's just a change that we knew we needed to make where I think a lot of people just kind of take the day as it comes and this, and that's how it's going to be. And don't think they can ever change it in any way, but uh, it takes courage and uh, <laughs> it takes perspective from an outside source to uh, give you some, give you some at least advice on what to look at. And hopefully you can come up with some ideas on your own, but that's why we have friends and that's why we keep our network uh, of other friends, trainers and colleagues, like kind of, um, I guess vast, but you want to include people that are ahead of you so you can kind of pick their brain. And I find the more successful people are, the more willing to share their time and expertise with you. And the people that aren't are usually the posers that haven't accomplished anything. And <laughs> they just want to seem big. So talk a big game. I'm like, hey, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think, we, I think we know a few of those. Uh, <laughs> everyone does. Yeah. No, I mean, the burnout part is as being a trainer, especially in a commercial gym, like that's real. I mean, the amount of times that I've like hit walls where I'm like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this much longer. You know, you really, you really question all your life choices at that point. And then you realize, okay, if I start going on my own route, that maybe work-life balance is more manageable. So that's super important. I think even like for people outside of, the personal training world, but people, especially in the personal training world, finding out your own life balance is super important. Yeah. I think prior, like taking a look at your priorities. Why did you start doing this? If you wanted to start training to make money, then great. Keep doing the meat grinder thing. But most of us, at least everybody I think I've ever met that's in fitness got in because they had some love for fitness or wanted to help people. And when we, end up in that situation where we're getting burned out every day, day in, day out. We're not helping people. So we're actually going against what we want to do and we're going against our priorities and our, our real like purpose. And that is like depreciating our like self-worth because we're like, we're here to help people and we're not helping them. We're just putting them through the, the day-to-day grind that we are. And maybe some get results because at least they have accountability but you're, uh, you're not living up to your promises to them. And then um, it really just, it, it burns you out even more because <laughs> yeah. you're like, I want to be doing yeah. that, but I just don't have the ability. And then you get a client cancel and you run out to your car to take a quick nap. So hopefully the rest of your day can uh, be a little bit better. <laughs> so one thing I want to chat with you guys about uh, holiday eating, right? It's November 15th here and we have some holidays coming up uh, and that could be, that can change your weight by a lot. Um, and by a lot, I'm for keeping it three to five usually is what, what the average person is going to see um, over the course of that time frame, three to five pounds, excuse me. Uh, we have Thanksgiving coming up next week. Then we've got Christmas Eve, we've got Christmas, and we have New Year's Eve. Um, so let's kind of go through like some of best practices that we use for the holidays and talk about what we can do um, for clients, what we can kind of set up looking at the, the timeline coming up as far as what you can do to put yourself in the best position to not um, throw yourself off too far. If you're in a position where you've been working out consistently um, and you, you know, you fall into the thinking trap of, oh, it's the holidays, it's inevitable, stuff like that. So uh, where are you guys at with that? I'll take it first. Yeah, you go, go so ahead. You go first, Kevin. You, wanna, you definitely want to keep your uh, exercise uh, consistent throughout the holidays. You don't need to go do a two-hour CrossFit workout to counteract what you're going to eat. Just stay consistent with what you're doing. 
keep your keep your habits built because if you break your habits for Thanksgiving, you're going to snowball them because you're not going to pick them back up between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then New Year's. And then you're going to be like everyone else in January. So keep your exercise habits consistent. Um, I think two big tips I can give you for holiday eating are drink a lot of water nonstop both before you go and during because that will slow you down on consuming the high caloric foods. And the other thing is don't starve yourself and wait till the party or dinner or whatnot. Eat a normal breakfast and eat a normal lunch. So that way your body's blood sugar is going to be stable. And then at dinner time, if you eat a normal size dinner, regardless of what the food is, you're not going to be train wrecked like you would if you tried to fast and binge. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I 100% agree with Kevin on this. Um, I give very, very similar advice too. And I also tell a lot of clients like, don't stress about this like couple days of the year that we're having like holiday food, right? Like, I know so many people, they get so stressed out around the holidays and what are they supposed to eat and stuff. And I say, have all your favorite foods and then get back to what you were doing, you know, beforehand, you know, right after the holidays are over or even in between, right? So sometimes we get way too consumed about these like couple meals that we're having when we really got to look at the whole year, not just those few days. Yeah, for sure. So I love that. You guys are kind of like just just lining me right up here. So what I what I usually tell my clients, and obviously I'm I'm a little I'm a big oversimplifier, right? So if you look at from now until New Year's Day, there are 46 days. There are 46 days, right? If you're eating four times a day, that is 184 meals, right? Um, my advice to my clients is generally on Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, do whatever the hell you want, right? Um, For the most part, no one's having Thanksgiving breakfast. No one's having Christmas Eve breakfast, right? All those other meals, you know the plan. You've got the good habits going. Prioritize protein, right? Have some greens on your plate. Make your plate colorful. You know, have some carbs in moderation throughout the day. When you get to those events where they're social um, and things of that nature, you have to remember that the social aspect of this time of year is a huge importance on your on your mental health, right? So a lot of times you're going to be around family and things like that. Those times are important, right? No one wants to be the person that's at Thanksgiving dinner that's like, ah, I'm not going to have the sweet potato pie because, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, carbs are making me fat, right? I can tell you from personal experience, if I go to my, ho- my mother's house on Thanksgiving and I'm like, yeah, I'm good on the uh, on the sweet potatoes there, the sweet potato pie there. She'll rip my head off, right? I'm eating that pie. There's nothing that my mother couldn't put on the table, no matter what kind of diet phase that I would have that I wouldn't eat. Now, the next day, I'm not going to eat leftovers, right? I'm back to uh, the, the turkey might be the one thing that I take with me as far as like a leftover. Um, and even in the, the meal at dinner, right, I'm going to prioritize the similar things. I'm going to eat kind of whatever I want, but I know that I need, you know, some decent protein on my plate. Um, and I'll try to make my plate as colorful as possible for the most part. Good, solid advice. Just don't worry about those four days, right? Do your thing normally, focus on the habits, and then just take care of the other 170 days um, that are going to be the 170 meals that are going to be in that time period. Uh, and you're re- realistically, you're not going to be thrown off too much. Um, and you can also use them as benchmarks, right? At the end of the week, at the end of this week, I've got Thanksgiving dinner. I know my favorite meals are coming out. I'm going to have myself a good time, right? And you have something to look forward to, which makes it easier to adhere to your goal, your rhythm, your routine. Same thing with Christmas and the holidays and stuff like that. 
And a little pro tip here, if you really want to have that food all over again, just freeze a portion of it. And then you, you can have it another time. You can have it within six months after freezing it. That's a great, you love freezing stuff. I do. <laughs> it came in handy yesterday. I made like this like curry <laughs> meal a few months ago and mm. yesterday we had no food. So that came out. So it's super clutch. Yeah. I'm going to have to give this freezing thing a try. I don't like to freeze a lot of stuff. Like in my freezer, I have a bunch of ice cubes, uh, a really old, <laughs> like, like, uh, like winter is coming looking, uh, ice cream thing that I just haven't touched in forever. That's got like a beard and it's got spikes and stuff like that. So <laughs> that's probably not good anymore. Uh, and there's not much else in my freezer. Everything for me is kind of fresh. I might have to experiment with this freezing stuff. So we talked about this transition and we're going to touch on Spartan, obviously, because we both uh, seem to enjoy some Spartans, uh, Spartan races, that is. Um, so talk to us about your transition, right? You were in a commercial gym. Um, you ended up opening Underdog Fitness. So talk to us a little bit about that journey and what that's been like. Sure, yeah. So <clears throat> I moved to Connecticut. I knew nobody. Uh, I don't know how many. I mean, I know Anthony moved south and he didn't know anybody. So maybe you could relate to some of this. Sandra, I don't know your story, but I, I, just I moved, moved to, to Connecticut. Florida, so I didn't know anybody either. Oh. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so we all can relate in some way. I moved to Connecticut. I knew nobody except this girl that I came here for, uh, who we ended up, uh, it ended up working out. We got married and now we have a house together and we're building a life together and whatnot. But, um, I was like, Hey, congratulations. thank yeah, you. Congratulations. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff is a great, great woman. Uh, makes the, pulls the best out of me. But, um, <laughs> so I came here and I'm like, all right, I need a job. I used to, I like kind of piece things together in fitness where I used to live, but I also knew people. So that kind of helped. So I just, they suggested I get this job at this gym. Um, and uh, I went there, got a job and I interviewed on like one day and then they're like, oh, we're going to have you come back next week to meet with a fitness manager. I'm like, I can't do that day. I'm going to World's Toughest Mudder. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an obstacle race, 24 hours. You run throughout the night, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to be home for like three days and I'm going to Punta Cana on a family vacation. And then uh, I want to start working like as soon as possible, but then in December, I'm going to go to this other race in Iceland. It's a Spartan <laughs> race. I don't know if you've heard of that either, but, um, it's like, I'll be gone on like Thursday through like Sunday. Maybe I'll be back like Monday. And they're like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm like, look, I can, I can do any of this. So that's how I, I, uh, started in a big box gym because I didn't know anybody. I knew I couldn't like, or at least so I thought I'm like, I, I'm not gonna be able to start my own business here doing what I was doing before. Cause I don't know anybody except her and her family. And I started at this other gym. Uh, I ended up starting, most of my book was her family members anyway, but I was at least in the gym learning the ins and outs of working in that structure. And I, they had different, like get so many clients, generate so much revenue, get promoted to so make more money. So I like hit all those tiers pretty quickly, which it was fun when I was new. Cause I was like, Ooh, I can get promoted in like three months if I do a good job. I can get promoted again in like six months if I do a good job. But after a year and a half, I was like, all right, the next tier, like they won't even consider you for it until you've been here five years. And this is at like three, little over three years. I'm like, I'm kind of stuck. Um, I wasn't completely unhappy, but I was, I was doing what I needed to do, hitting like well exceeding numbers um, and trying to like start new programs within the gym and like be a leader in the other clubs and across the company. And then COVID happened. And I was sitting at home trying to figure out how to like take care of my clients when we weren't supposed to be training them and uh, try to do some online stuff. I was going to people's backyards and like undercover training people in the yard and in my garage and whatnot. So um, I found that uh, I could help 
people, charge them less, make more per, so I could have more work-life balance. And doing this in the backyard and stuff. And during COVID, I'm sure you guys experienced the same thing, unless you worked for a company that was like open all the time. Um, we had a lot of free time. So I was reading a lot of books. I was talking to other trainers and as the world, no one really knew what to do and just trying to figure it out. And um, another trainer and I were doing the same thing and we decided to join forces and um, buy, rent a space and then buy some equipment and put it in that space and start our own like little personal training boutique. Basically, we wanted to do what we were doing at the other gym, but we didn't want the overhead of like a big box gym. Um, so we did that. We, we operated for a few months while we weren't legally allowed to because of the state rules, but our people were happy because they were coming to the underground gym and no one was about to rat us out because this was their only opportunity to work with a trainer and exercise. It's like and one of those, uh, the, it's like one of those fight club things. Like, yeah. The first, the yeah. first rule of the gym is <laughs> you don't talk about this gym. You can, you can bring a friend, but do not share anything that's going to get us caught. And we also had a non-compete with the other gym. So we were trying not to get sued. There's a lot of little things we were trying to like avoid, but still build our brand and whatnot. And that was good. Um, once the gyms were allowed to open, the other gym asked us to come back to work. And we're like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work because we're kind of doing our own thing already. So we, we declined that. And then uh, that was going pretty well. We, but as it, the year went on, we had different goals and we built our like gym inside the, the gym, like my business versus his business under the same umbrella kind of grew into different categories. And after a year, we but it had done enough things that we decided it was time to split and uh, he bought me out and I took my money and then I created underdog fitness doing the same thing I was doing before, just not in his, not in the building where he was trying to do his thing. And um, I just didn't want to grow in that way and do those kind of things. And our gym's taken off really well too um, within my goals. And I've really found my niche within obstacle course racing and hybrid racing and uh i'd say our clients we still have a lot the same clients i was training at the old gym big box gym through that gym and still have them now and then my newer clients are mostly there's been a couple like referrals trickle in but my in-person clientele is like not all that big um but i have a lot of online clients from spartan race and hybrid racing like deca and high rock which has paid the bills and that's really the goal i'm like i just need to pay my pay my bills and then I can focus on the people I have and I don't need to overwhelm myself with having 40 clients that I need to see multiple times a week, every single week and like live to work. So I've been able to get better uh, results for those clients. Um, a lot of them are niche clients. So not that they get the same programs, but they're all training for a lot of the same things. So I can kind of like overlap the stuff and they meet each other a lot because we'll host uh, quarterly races at our gym. So then a ton of people come to our venue and race at our gym and have fun and share and post and like, and all that stuff. And we've, uh, we're in Connecticut, but we've drawn as far North as Montreal. Um, That's awesome. We haven't, hit, we haven't got anyone from Maine yet, but New Hampshire, Vermont, Mar Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, all from the North. We've got New York, New Jersey, I'm not sure if we've had Maryland, but we have had North Carolina. So um, hey, very cool. all those states to our little gym for our little DECA event. Uh, so that's been freaking awesome. And then we try to like share, share our knowledge. And um, I've made a lot of like how-to videos on how to maximize your efficiency and performance and like a DECA 
which is the Spartan brand of hybrid racing. And I go to races all over the country and people are like, oh my God, I need to tell you how much your videos have helped me. And I'm like, who are you? I've never seen you before. You're watching my videos, really? That's oh, awesome. So and, uh, it, it's, been, it's been fun and it, it really like reinforces like not just my reach, but reinforces like that I'm doing I'm doing good work that people are like seeking that out and they're learning and whether they're in, I have a couple of clients in Texas, one of them, I trained so well, he qualified for world championships and now I got to compete head to head against him uh, over, <laughs> over the weekend. And uh, he's like, do you want me to, do you want to still train me after you qualify? Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's weird cause we're competing. I was like, no, nah, if you beat me on world championship day, then hats off to you. You did better work than me, but, Otherwise, I'm just happy that we got you to where you wanted to go. And I think there's probably like 20 people that I've worked with throughout the year that have qualified for world championships and either elite or their age group. So really excited to go to Atlantic City this weekend and see a bunch of people wearing some big, bold dog shirts and thrown down. And regardless of what place they finish, they, they qualified, they put in some good work and um, really just proud because like just a year ago, we opened in June of 2021. We had very few clients in June, July, August, because COVID was still like scaring people. The fall didn't happen. Like in the fitness industry, I'm sure you've seen September's always huge because everyone's like back to work and back to on their routine and summer's over. And then October's okay, November's all right. And then like December starts to dip. We didn't have that like huge fall pop last year. We had like people later in the fall, but it wasn't like a pop. And then December or the January pop didn't happen. That kind of like, people started coming in like March and April. So we haven't had the traditional like business cycle. Um, so like last year, like December, I'm like, eh, I don't know what we're going to do. Hopefully January. <laughs> and then January came and went in February. And like, uh, I mean, we're paying the bills, but we're not really like, profitable right, right now. So uh, <laughs> yeah. to be able to be where we are today after just uh, under a year, it's like, incredible to think like that's where we were and this is how much progress we've made and like our dreams to go forward and it's uh it's pretty exciting but it the <laughs> rewind back to when i was at that big box gym like right before covid i mean I, I made a good paycheck i worked a lot of hours and i'd go in and out of craziness with like the business cycles but the fear there of like doing it for myself was always so great i'm like i don't know i don't want to take a step out of what's comfortable what if it doesn't work? I'm going to go into debt because I'm going to spend all this money on things that I can't afford. And if it doesn't work, then I'm going to be in debt to this and that. And I've started businesses in the past and really uh, the pain of not being able to pay someone who needs to feed their kids is one of the greatest pains you can experience because you just For feel sure. like you, oh, like can't imagine this that. person is a kid. They're not mad at me because like I failed. They're mad at me because their kid's not going to eat now because I can't pay them. <laughs> and I'm right. living off peanut butter and jellies and I'm getting evicted. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but, I have a uh, question for you. So do you think you would yeah. have ended up on the same path had COVID not happened? Definitely not right now. Maybe eventually, but that became a catalyst. And I think talking to a lot of people um, in various industries, but like just catching up with old friends during COVID, I was like, I'm a sanguine, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically like you need to be, you draw energy from being with people and being locked in the house with my wife, like she's great and all, but I'm like, all right, <laughs> what are we gonna do next? We played a lot of video games or not video games, like board games. We've gone outside and worked out, we've eaten, we've done all this stuff and it's noon. So what are we gonna do for the rest of the day? Yeah. So like, um, 
some people are just depressed and like binge watching like all these Netflix specials. And I'm like, I'm going to try to stay away from the TV because I will, I'm a very addictive personality. I will go a hundred percent into that and I will watch every episode of whatever series I start. So just trying to avoid that, but reading more books and just getting connected to more people that were trying to do something great for themselves during COVID when they had extra time and hearing people's like stories and like, all right, you're nuts. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm not going to put you down until you can't do it. I just don't know how you are going to do it, but I'm going to keep watching because I'm glad you're stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something. And then you got other people like, yeah, life sucks. I'm on unemployment and they're making like double what they usually make, but they're just like miserable. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you some encouragement, but you don't really want to change. It doesn't seem like, so I'll just kind of leave you there. But um, looking back now and seeing what some people have created, it's like, holy crap. Like we had two years to basically like bonus time that we wouldn't have had otherwise and see where they took their life or what direction they've taken. And some people have changed like, career paths or industries or some people are right back where they were two years ago and have no changes. So um, I think that that became a huge catalyst for me. Yeah. I view that time period as like such a perspective shifter um, for everyone. Like human existence really is, you know, you can show up at the grindstone and you just grind. And that was like one of the first times in a long time where like you everything just stopped and it was like surreal and you you actually had a, a chance to look up from the workstation and like see everything around you and there were tons of transitions from from folks going into new careers starting new things getting new experiences and things like that so those are things that i mean i always look back and say that those are some of the some of the few good things that came out of that that time period i mean i know for me personally i had just moved to north carolina and i had about 2 months uh, i'd been here about 2 months was that lifetime and I was like, oh, man, this like, like you said, like when you move somewhere and you don't really know anyone and you're like, well, how is this going to go? And it's like, oh, boy, what have I done? And you, you start having that a little bit. And then we have the shutdown, you know, two months after I live here. And I think for, for me personally, uh, the lights went out. I wasn't I wasn't trainer me. I was a nutrition coach me. I, I just played Call of Duty. I, I went for a walk a, a couple of times. And for, for a good couple of months, that, that was about all I did. Everything was just shut down. And then you kind of go through and you look at and you say, hey, what do I, what can I be doing that's different? Because before I was a trainer, I was in retail and it was just grind, 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 grind. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to grind, but to a different purpose. Uh, as soon as we came out of the pandemic, I knew that I was going to end up leaving and starting my own fitness company. Uh, it was just a matter of going to be one. Um, and that was something that that was a, something that I got and I, I much more aligned myself with what I wanted to be doing um, during that time period with that, with that, with that time that we had there. Yeah. I mean, I was only locked down only for like two or three months. I think it was maybe three down in Florida because we like came back to work so quickly. So I kind of feel like I missed out a little bit on that time frame of like trying to reinvent yourself a little bit. Um, but it was a little bit like there was enough insight in there, enough like calmness in there for me to like kind of realize have my own little epiphanies. But what I think is so interesting with the fitness industry is that so many amazing trainers all went off to kind of do their own thing. And I think that completely changed corporate fitness. It changed commercial fitness. It changed all those things. And I think that the fitness industry hasn't quite, at least the commercial side of things, hasn't quite recovered from that, which I think is super fascinating. So we'll see how all that ends up. But yeah, a lot of Mm -hmm. people like yourself, Kevin, right? They all just kind of went off, did their own thing and realized, oh, I can do this on my own. So yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the 
I think uh, COVID just gave everyone like that chance to let your creative mind work again, because like Anthony said, you're not, you're not grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And like you come up for air on Saturday and then Sunday, you're like, I better rest because I got to do this again. And you don't, you don't have that time usually. So when you have that creative space um, available to you, get creative and then you kind of see what, what else is out there. And yeah, to your point up here too, in Connecticut, like a lot of people, a lot of the trainers that used to work at the gym, I was at not just my location, but the other ones um, in the state that I like networked with when I worked there because we'd have like co-meetings and trainings and stuff like seeing them. I'm like, great. They're still doing great. They have this, this spot and this spot and the gym that I was working for sued a bunch of people for leaving, but I talked to oh, them. They actually like, did? You can't sue everybody. <laughs> they're wow. not going to get everybody. And I fortunately, like I only got one notice and then it was like a cease and desist, but that was because uh, I forget what was in there, but after like, that was it. Other people got letter, 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 but I just like laid low. I didn't do anything too crazy. And then now the underdogs like open, it's like, okay, we started after the one year of resigning. So you can't even hey. like backtrack. <laughs> Hate it or love it. The underdogs on top, right? That's how the song goes. Yeah. <laughs> Who's like your biggest clientele right now? I mean, like people starting out in these like hybrid races, these obstacle course races, or do you mainly work with people that are more seasoned? It's a great question. Uh, the newest clients I have, a lot of them have done a race or their friend did a race and they want to get ready. So like every so often I'll launch like a couch to Spartan 5k or something like that. So like I look at the race calendar and so in the Northeast, we have the Bethel Woods one, which is like where Woodstock was, the flat course, really simple, very basic Spartan race. It's not like at Killington, which is a monstrous mountain that people are going to die on. And I'm like, all right, this is a great starter course. Let's promote this program to the people that are looking to do their first Spartan race. And then my remote program is basically just keep them from getting hurt when they go to the first race because <laughs> they're not going to be able to do all the obstacles and they're yeah. not going to be running fit in five weeks. So how do I get them out the door, get them to the finish line and have them not get hurt? Um, but then like with our events, hosting events, I launched the same like kind of prep programs leading in to our event to promote our event, but also I want people that come to our event to put up great times. So they're going the leaderboard and they see themselves like, Oh shit, I'm 15th in the world in my age group and top 12 go to world championships. And I did it at that gym and that guy and his wife and all the other people that were so supportive. And they gave me all these tips on how to be more efficient and get better. And then they kind of like follow us and they come to the next one and they come to the next one. And that traction kind of builds and builds. And then they're just like, okay, I did this time last time. Can you train me and get me ready for next time? So we got a lot of repeat clients like that. Um, and then I started a racing team last year. So that whole like dark time of the winter, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. January happened and no one showed up. And I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And I was like, I got this awesome jersey made how am i going to get people to wear it because when we go to races you can't you're not going to be missed so um i put out a like a call to action like hey who here is an age group racer or open racer that wants to compete and move up in the in the rankings and like compete for podiums or like top three in your age group at spartan races and uh i created a little video reel or whatever and then people responded and I took them as applicants and I interviewed all of them. And then I narrowed it down to five people who I thought would be a good fit for what I was trying to build. I wanted to share my vision for the program. And I also wanted to 
see where their head was at. I'm like, I want people, I don't care what their situation is. Like, say you work a full-time job, you have four kids, but you want to do Spartan race competitively. Okay. Are you willing to train for that? Yes. I'll ask them a few questions and make sure their mindset's kind of on track. Like, all right, with the right tools, I can get you to improve um, and compete for podiums this year. So I narrowed it down to five. And then those became my like online training clients that I trained for the whole year. And then they paid for online training, but I gave them a deal because of being in the program. They got jerseys and then they went and raced and they all succeeded at great, great heights this year, podiuming. And, you know, every time they like a bunch of them would race in the Northeast, a handful of them would podium. And then we got a bunch of pictures to put on social media, like, Oh my God, look, our program works because all these people are doing well because I'm just training them. <laughs> and I've raced every distance that Spartan has, except for the death race and the kids race. Cause I was too old for the kids race and the death race is not really a race. It's more of just a beat down and they don't do it all the time. We got to get bubbles into the kids race. Yeah. I, I jumped so, right in, but sometimes they, they get scared because this big guy running around with his underwear with no shirt on scares the kids. <laughs> Basically. So, so you talked about hybrid athletes, hybrid races, OCR, DECA, stuff like that. Um, like talk to us about those different events. Like what, what can you expect from each event? Um, all right. So, Spartan's mission is to rip 500 million people off the couch. Or I don't know what the number is. It's a really big number with a lot of zeros, but rip them off the couch. So they created the three distances, the sprint, the super, and the beast. And that was their short, medium, and long courses. And they advertised like three to five miles for the sprint, and then eight to 10 for the super, and then 13 plus for the beast. And in the early years of Spartan, their tagline was also, you'll know what the finish line. So you go out for a three mile sprint and six and a half miles later, you're like, where the hell is this finish line? It's supposed to be the short course. Uh, so they've, they've since um, dialed it in to be much closer to a 5K, 10K and half marathon distance. Uh, so those are the three. And the goal for Spartan is get, get you on the course, do it. Finish the course, whether it takes you all day, you walk every step, whatever, and then go back home and prepare yourself for the next one whether you do the same same race at the same distance and you just try to accomplish more um more obstacles or you try to beat your time or whatnot or maybe you want to step up to the next level and challenge yourself to the next longer distance uh so that's kind of what they've done and then during covid they created the deca which is a hybrid race which is just 10 exercise stations of like functional fitness movements reverse lunges a row a, a box step up and over sit-ups a bike a t like a sled push and pull so like really basic stuff to even to lower the barrier of entry even more than just a 5k because i think the study is like more people do 5k distance like the holiday fun run and all the local stuff like they have a good following because people aren't afraid because like i can walk three miles in an hour and i can finish so it's not intimidating to them but there's still like an intimidation factor to the mud and the barbed wire. Uh, so that's why they created DECA. And then as uh, Yancey Culp, who is a, the main creator, him and this guy, Jared Cogswell, they created DECA. And um, <clears throat> they're, they're like, DECA was created for the, the regular person. We're just trying to get people to a starting line because we know if we can get them to the starting line, we'll get them to the finish line. And there, there's, DECA has a option with no running, a little bit of running and a little more running. So you don't have to be a runner to do DECA. You literally can just do the 10 exercise stations and you've completed it. And the average person that's like 
I don't want to say like in great shape or out of shape, but like the average time for a deck is strong is like 20 to 25 minutes. So people can get around that in their head. Like, okay, it's going to take me 20 minutes, especially people that are taking like hour hit classes six days a week. Like you could definitely yep. do this. It's not, <laughs> you're not doing handstand walks and barbells and matches. <laughs> you're literally doing reverse lunges. <laughs> like right. you can get through this and you can rest as much as you want. There's just a clock and you can drink water and you can wipe your face. Uh, so that, that's been really good for us as a gym because Spartan promotes the events that we're an affiliate of them. So with the DECA, so they promote the events that we're hosting and then they take the signups and they take the payments and everybody pays Spartan race. And then they show up at my gym and then I just have to put on the show, get judges, judge them, enter their stuff on the leaderboard. And then they get to see how they finished, how they stacked up against the competitors that day. And then it goes on the global leaderboard. So that's really been huge for us to like grow our brand as well and also get people in our doors and like i said before like we have people that travel from north carolina that person's not going to turn into a regular training client that's driving in twice a week for personal training but they might do online training or they might just be a promoter and they share that they came up here on their social media and then their friends see and maybe their friend that lives closer could come in for another event or whatever so that's kind of been our feeder system for the for the gym and then a lot of those people like they see us and they follow our brand and realize like okay these people that look kind of like me like everyone puts their identity and like I'm a overweight mom and I have two kids I can't compete with Spartan race like xyz athlete like oh Anthony he's running the Spartan beast I can't keep up with him I'll never be able to do that but if they see Judy with her three kids that they met at the DECA doing the beast and like oh maybe if Judy can can do that maybe i could do the one a little bit lower or maybe i'll work up to that or something so it builds a belief and it gives us a chance to like impact them and inspire them and and kind of hold their hand and move them along the way in their fitness journey and helps them make a little bit better exercise decisions and uh nutrition decisions and life decisions (laughs) and it's funny that you mentioned like the people that come from other states uh to your events you mentioned, you know, they might be those people that, you know, they don't become clients, but they interact with the brand, they'll recognize the brand. Uh, and those are going to be the people that you will see on a random Spartan race and you'll be halfway through a 10K and you'll just hear the clown voice coming up behind you. This, you turn around <laughs> and this, I, I shit you not, this dude is just coming up behind you with a clown mask on, just talking in the bubbles voice that you just heard. And at first it's like, and you think there's something thinking about it. And I, when I first met Kevin, he had, he had told me about the mask. Um, but I'd never, I'd never like experienced it because I wasn't into Spartan at the time. And, you know, flash forward a couple of years, I get into Spartan racing, start doing a couple. And then I, you know, me and Kevin are talking more about it. I'm picking his brain on stuff. And then we go finally do a race in, uh, Jacksonville and we're driving into the parking lot and we, it's two Kevins and he starts talking in the voice and I'm like, Oh man, what, what is happening? What is going on? Like, what is this? And then he puts the mask on a few minutes later and then the voice makes sense. And this guy's a celebrity. Uh, it, it, it was like, good it was marketing. Like, it, it was like, yeah, it, it was like, um, like a famous athlete or something like that. Everyone knew who this guy was like with the mask on, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. How, how did the whole clown thing come about? What's the That's a great story? question, Sandra. So I'll, uh, I'll answer this one. So uh, way back when in 2011, I don't know if you remember what was going on around that time, but I don't. Uh, my friends and I found this uh, race called Tough Mudder, and uh, we we decided to do it together. It was about 13 miles and a bunch of obstacles. 
and there was teamwork and camaraderie and no no chip times like it wasn't the time to race. So uh, we we met up. We went to Party City the night before and we picked out some costumes and we we're like we're gonna be the, the three Santas because this was like mid 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 November when it was a little chilly and uh, I was in New Jersey so it was pretty cold. And uh, we were the three Santas, and we did a course. We won a costume contest. We got some season passes. And then uh, the next the next race, we went to Party City again, picked up some different costumes and that and so on. And that. after six months, it got pretty expensive. So um, we were always on the lookout for something we could reuse. And once uh, Halloween came around, I found this chinless clown mask. And uh, I think I have one right here. Uh, <laughs> Can, can we this. post a picture of this with the show notes or something? Yeah. My big problem with masks is that you can't breathe and you can't see out of them. But this right. one, your mouth is exposed. It has holes for the nose well, so you can breathe. <laughs> and then uh, your eyes, it kind of suctions your eyes so then you can see. So I was able to uh, run, run a, a race in it and then people saw me coming and we had a good conversation and got its own like a uh, name and some jokes and a voice and a whole backstory and uh because it's latex it does fine in the water and the heat and uh any anything really this is like the 10th or 11th version i just keep buying the same one over every year because the latex kind of breaks down but it's bald like me except for these little blue hairs and uh i've run i've run in multiple countries and uh i survived the clown epidemic when clowns are out and people were getting killed and yeah. Uh, I, forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> I didn't almost die. <laughs> I've been to Mexico, I've been to uh, Ireland and uh, Iceland and all over the U.S. And uh, this is Bubbles. So that's amazing. Bubbles is, is famous. Um, I've done World's Toughest Mudder in it. I've run the Lake Tahoe Ultra Beast in it, and it's very good when it's hailing because it gives you a little layer of protection. And if it's super cold, it protects your face from the wind. And um, when you're suffering and the clown comes up and you guys start talking, it, it makes the race go much faster. So that's the short of it. It it does actually. We we ran a whole 10k with him in the mask, and that it was that was the fastest 10k uh, of all time potentially. That's amazing. You don't get too hot in the mask. I've learned to do anything, everything in the mask. I can I can breathe. I can drink. I can <laughs> I can eat. I can sing. Um, it does get warm, so uh, I have to be careful. Um, the Jacksonville race wasn't too bad on Saturday, but, uh, I raced in Fayetteville, um, in the spring, a little bit later and I got really hot and I got a little nauseous and a little sick on Saturday, but I, uh, I rebounded, rehydrated. And on Sunday when I ran the sprint, I just took one of those five gallon jugs from the first water station and I frolicked through the whole course with it. And no one asked any questions because the clown with a five gallon jug offering people water on a hot day. That's a big deal. The, that's amazing the funny and it the funny thing about that is like you say like no one asked questions. no one asked questions at all like we were like we were warming up we were hopping barriers and stuff like that like we were like on like the part partially of the race course just warming up and stuff like that and like no one said anything like it was just it was like a normal thing it was like yeah has, so, has anyone ever gotten like super scared when you came of up course to them? lots of people my ex my current wife was definitely afraid of clowns and uh, she actually stalked me for three years, and I didn't even know she existed because I would get to races and I just hear someone scream and run away, and it <laughs> happens all the time. And uh, finally, uh, I met her at City Field, and um, she uh, we we had communicated through text message, uh, Spartan ambassadors, 
for a couple of weeks leading up to the race and we met at registration and I took the mask off because she told me she was afraid and we, uh, we, we hung out, but it was love at first fright and, and we uh, now we're married <laughs> and not allowed to wear the clown mask in the house, but she, she's used to it now. And, uh, but I, I have people all the time, a cop will come up to me and I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh, what's this cop want? He's like, hey, excuse me, can you come here? My friend over there is afraid of clowns. Can you go scare him? And I'm like, he's going to shoot me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go tap the cop on the shoulder and give him a big hug. And man, People are always busting each other's chops with my, my assistant. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, that is so, so funny. There's so many good bubble stories. Um, so looking ahead, uh, you have World Cha- Deca World Champions co- Championships coming up this weekend, right? Correct. So talk to me about like... <laughs> What's your nutrition like going into an event like that? And also like, how, how have you been training for that? And like, what have you been doing? Yeah. So I personally qualified for four events in two days. So congratulations. Uh, nutrition is going to be very, awesome. very important. I have other clients that qualified for one, so it's still important, but the pre intra and post uh, race um, nutrition for someone running four times in two days is a lot different from someone running once in uh, over the weekend. So for me, my, my events are the deck of, well, on Saturday, I'm running a deck of fit, which is the same time the exercise stations plus 10, 500 meter runs or a 5k total of running. And that's Saturday morning. So that's going to be high intensity for like 35 minutes or so. And then later in the day, I'm running a deck of fit relay, which is, the same thing, except I get a partner and I get to split that up. So since I'm on the bigger side and better at stations, I'm going to get a, my partner is a really fast female and she just does the running. So I get to go even harder and take a break. And it's more of an interval race for me at that point. And then the Saturday race uh, in the morning is the deck is strong. So that has no running. Uh, my deck is strong time is 1135. The record is 1130. So there's 12 people that are going to be doing the same race at the same time and redlining for 11 minutes and 11 to 12 minutes. I'd say I'm, I'm pretty sure no one's going to take longer than 12 minutes based on the qualification. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone broke 11, if that's me, we'll see, but there's a, uh, a lot of people that are very fit and very ready for that. Uh, so and that's all redlining. Yeah. And they're all named Ryan, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. No way, really? Ryan, 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 Kevin, Ryan, yeah. Ryan, 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 David, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many ten, of them. It's, it's... Ten Ryans, Kevin, and there's a David in there somewhere. Well, um, best of luck. So, hopefully, hopefully it's you that breaks the record. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll all break the 1130 record, but or at least a lot of us will. But it's whoever wins, uh, whoever has the best time that day is going to take home a bigger paycheck. And then, uh, then in the afternoon on Sunday, the deck of mile, which is the same as the deck of strong with 10, 160 meter runs or a total of one mile of running. So it's kind of broken up. You get a short run between each station, but all, I mean, the deck is, the deck is fit is, I don't want to say red line from start to finish. Cause there is pacing. Obviously if you blow up then you're not gonna be able to run as far, but lots of red lining in the relay, lots of red lining in the strong and still a lot of re- running in the in the mile um, my deck of mile time is 1912 and the record is 1740 but my time uh, is still really good <laughs> but there's just a couple freaks that uh, 
are extremely fast runners that are going to take that down. So um, nutrition leading in, I mean, <clears throat> my big goal this week is to get my inflammation down as much as possible. Like I've been training, I just raced, so I ate a lot, a lot of whatever I wanted, keeping lots of carbs, like just walking through a regular day of mine. I'm waking up and having like a couple and a half of like dry oats with blueberries and then mixing in some seeds, sweetening that with brown sugar and pure maple syrup uh, from Vermont because we're nice and close to there. And then um, shout out to Vermont. <laughs> Tap the tree. Uh, then afternoon, like uh, brunch time, take a big bowl. I don't know how many cups fit in there. Just pack that with white rice and throw some meat on there today i did chicken with some sort of like rosemary rub or something whatever we had left over and that then afternoon <laughs> uh later in the day more of that or some more more rice and maybe whatever's in the fridge dinner time we'll uh i'm probably going out for dinner tonight but i'll get some sort of pasta dish try to keep the cheese on the lower side it's early in the week so i can have some cheese but i know for myself uh, I try to keep the really heavy fats and the high fibers down, especially at the end of the week, because you can fuel yourself up on Thursday and Friday, but if you're racing Saturday morning and all that's still inside you, you you're going to be carrying some extra weight you don't need and it's not serving you. So I try to ditch the fiber and the heavier fats on like maybe Thursday, uh, Friday, definitely, but usually even Thursday, like make Wednesday my last day that has any fiber. Like I'll have some vegetables and stuff, but I'm not having like whole grain bread or brown rice or anything. And I just find like brown rice is fine, I guess, if you're not really training much, but I can't eat enough calories and get enough carbs in if I eat brown rice because I'm full. <laughs> Which yeah. Most yeah. people are like, oh, I just keep eating because I'm never full. <laughs> I can't eat enough because I'm full. Shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm curious, and just so for listeners to learn too. So when you say like you're like you're reducing certain foods to help with your inflammation, what foods are you excluding for your own self? All right. So I don't I don't drink, but if I did, I wouldn't drink this week because I don't want to inflammation from the alcohol. I would say sugar in general. If you're like a regular my regular clients, I'm like you should decrease your sugar content. But for me, I need the carbs, so that really doesn't blow me up. Uh, but like the the processed greases and those kind of things, like fried foods. Um, like I'll go out tonight and if I get like a chicken dish or something, I'll try to avoid like the fried chicken just because I don't know what oil they use. If I'm cooking at home, it's olive oil. So it doesn't bother me, but whatever oils like restaurants use is usually cheaper. And that usually blows me up. I had a Wahlburgers, uh, super melt with government cheese as per the, uh, the uh, menu nice. on Saturday. And I noticed on Sunday and Monday, I was like, oh, I'm looking kind of Puffy. <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, I had uh, I had a cheeseburger at a restaurant. That's, that's I mean, so so good. I, I performed well, but now well, I'm like, all right, I gotta get that out. Yeah. Um. So making sure my water my water intake is up because sometimes I get lazy and because it's cold now, like I don't want to drink as much when it's cold. So making sure my water intake is up, maybe taking in extra amino acids and taking in uh some uh electrolytes on top of that. Because again, like it's not hot and I'm not sweating nonstop, so it's it takes more effort mentally to uh, to take that in. Does that answer your question? Yes, totally. Else, uh, no, that was awesome. the other things. Though. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of people like always ask, like you know, what foods can help with inflammation, stuff like that. So I always love adding that one in there. 
Oh, what yeah. do you do then intra like like within the events or yeah, in so, your weekend then great question uh so the 40 the 35 to 40 minute event <clears throat> i'm just going to make sure that i have some sort of like sports drink that i'm sipping on during my warm-up and i use tailwind which any endurance runner has probably heard of but it's absolutely sugar <laughs> it's sugar water yeah. with salt in it <laughs> so <laughs> i'll sip on that uh during my warm-up and then I'll stash it on like the side of the course because in hybrid racing, you're indoors and you're running laps around like the course. And then you go in and do the exercise and come back out. So I can kind of stash a bottle in the corner. And that way, if I need to take a swig or something, I can, um, I'll do that in the fit in the, in the relay. I probably, I could do that actually more easily because I'm resting, but in the two relays I ran, I didn't bother with that. So I should probably do that for world championships because this matters a little more. And then for the strong and the mile on Sunday with no, like 11 minutes and 20 minutes, I'm not even a bother because any second I can carve off is going to produce better. And you're not going to gain anything by sipping on something in either of those. Yeah. So, uh, and then I guess the follow question is you, you might've asked is uh, between races. Uh, so <laughs> immediately having a fueling strategy and having food ready to finish race ones at nine in the morning, nine in the morning on Saturday race two that three, no, at five o'clock. So well, I want to make sure I get up early in there. Oh, well, yes, I, <laughs> I've dealt with a much smaller gap, which is freaking impossible, but, um, planning in planning ahead. I will have, uh, some sort of post-race meal. That's very simple sugars. Um, and maybe a little bit of protein right after the race. Um, if I get like a, a sports drink or something and then follow it up with a meal but something that's going to digest quickly and move in and out um then have another meal so i'll probably finish around well let's call it let's say i finish the race at 10 i'll have that drink right away i'll try to eat a full meal by 11 and then before five o'clock like eat another meal maybe a smaller meal around two again probably similar to what i usually eat some simple carbs and then maybe a little bit of protein and make sure that my stomach's empty by the time I'm racing. And then my warm up for that, sip on some more sports drinks, um, tailwind and whatnot. And play same, same strategy for Sunday. Just get something in immediately after the race to try to replenish what I can. And, uh, I might have soda at lunchtime on Saturday, like Coca-Cola one, cause it settles my stomach down and your stomach is destroyed when you redline for 30 minutes and you want to just run to the bathroom and you want to die. So Coca-Cola usually settles my stomach down, plus it's high sugar, which I need the carbs right back in. And then Saturday night, dinner time, I'll probably also have a Coca-Cola, which I've found <laughs> also uh, in racing back-to-back -back days tends to um, just help, help catch up on the glycogen before the next day. And I tend to perform well on Sundays, so I think I'm doing something right. No, totally. Um, so kind of what I want to ask you right so let's say i'm someone i work out three times a week i have a pretty i have a fair diet so protein is pretty decent my carbohydrate intake is let's call it moderate medium to moderate i'm looking to lose weight uh, i've been working out for about a month now i want to start running how how should my diet reflect the change and what my exercise and activity is going to be what's the ultimate goal just to drop weight or is running 
Is the running to help you lose weight or do you want to lose weight and you also want to be a better runner? Let's say I want to lose weight and I want to be a better runner. All right. So you want to do two, you want a performance goal and you want to get, you want to yep. shed some weight. All right. So everyone wants both ends at the same time, which it's not impossible, but it, uh, it takes some more finer detail. So uh, I think nutrient timing is going to be most important for this person. So depending on what time of day the runs are, there's a benefit of like fasted running, but I don't really try to promote that because I don't know. I'd rather people be fueled when they're running. And if they're running in the morning, unless they're rolling out of bed and going right out the door, then have some sort of food in the morning. And if they are rolling right out the door, make sure they have carbs in their last meal the night before to just top off their glycogen. Even with strength training, like if you're not topping off your glycogen, you're not going to be able to perform to the level that you should otherwise i mean i liken it to you have a great car and you want to drive to california but you're going to not put any gas in the gas tank and you're not going to make it very far like you're going to try to drive to california with a quarter tank of gas because you didn't you didn't eat enough carbs and if you think about it as carbs is like performance fuel um i don't know if you guys have talked about fats fuel like your low intensity exercise carbs are your more high intensity and then creatine's like your explosive stuff i think there's so many people i mean i know this is your whole podcast <laughs> carbs are bad they're gonna make me fat oh no <laughs> like yeah food is more than fuel but if you don't feel properly with carbs and at the right times and the right types of carbs then you are going to you're limiting your your abilities so you're not going to lift as heavy because you don't have enough fuel well, if you don't lift this heavy, you're not going to get as strong. If you don't put on, if you don't get as strong, you're not going to put on as much muscle mass, and then you're not going to burn as much fat. So by not eating carbs, you're going to get fatter. <laughs> like draw that. Uh, just like, um, so I think the timing, I guess, would be the biggest thing. Like, if you want to, if you're going to do a higher intensity run, then fuel it properly. But if you're going to go on a, a low intensity, like zone two heart rate, just jog, just to like break a sweat or just act just move, then it's not as important. Um, and then if you're doing two workouts in a day, cause you're trying to add volume to increase your results, you definitely need to fuel between and around those, those training times. So I know, uh, 75 hard was a huge, huge, I mean, it's been, it was happening before it had a lot of traction before COVID during COVID we had nothing else to do. So a lot of people did 75 hard. And now, even now I see a bunch of people doing it. And I think, follow a diet like it's very loose but most people that i talk to like they're they're not fueling enough because now they're doing two 45 minute workouts a day and they're trying to like eat clean i love that term it's like yeah everyone knows eating bad is mcdonald's like three times a day seven days a week <laughs> but everyone like no one knows what eating right is and it, there's no perfect diet obviously but um eating clean is like most people's idea of that is just eating lettuce all the time. I'm like, I don't know what clean, clean, that does, that's what, you're not doing anything. You're starving yourself. And then your, your, your hormones are all messed up and you're going to eat crap. And then you're still moving in the wrong direction. So totally. I don't know if that answers your question, but oh, for maybe sure. you could redirect me. Oh, no, no, no. That, that was pretty solid. Kevin, how would you take like a client that you are working with mainly for performance versus someone who's you're, who you're working with mainly for weight loss? Like how would their nutrition strategies be different? The first thing I'm going to tell them is eat more, 
No matter mm. what they say, eat more. Mm. No one's eating say it enough because they're training for endurance. Eat more. Even <laughs> weight loss people, I find that they're not eating enough because their idea of eating clean is eating lettuce and they're getting like 500 calories now down from their 5,000 from their crap eating, but they're nowhere near what they need to be. So uh, eat more is my, uh, my answer. And for, for endurance athletes, uh, so if you don't believe me, then go do all the research on your own. But if you do uh, get your basal metabolic rate tested, you could do that with like a gas exchange. I forget what it's called. But if you get a VO2 max test, they'll probably also do a resting metabolic test pretty easily. So for me, my resting metabolic rate's like 2000. So that means if I stay in bed for 24 hours, my body burns 2000 calories. Now, if I'm just every go, every normal, every man, and I look at the label of any food, it says based on a 2000 calorie a day diet. Well, for me, if I'm eating 2000 calories a day, I shouldn't be getting out of bed because then I'm under fueling, but I'm exercising and I'm living and I have a physically active job. So my like, uh, my knee is higher. So that's gonna, let's say my knee's only 500. So that brings me up to 2,500 calories. But again, that still doesn't include exercise. So now I'm gonna start working out. For me, I'm about 225 pounds. I'm pretty lean. Uh, and based on my VO2 max, I burn about 1,000 to 1,200 calories an hour on like moderate intensity exercise. Whew. So if I go for a one, one hour run at like 10 minute pace, I'm burning 1,000 calories. If I'm training for endurance, I'm not just running. I'm not just working out for an hour a day. So if we circle back to all that, that's 3,500 calories just to break even. And that doesn't include like any, like that's one hour workout a day. I'm not doing a long run on a weekend. That's three hours. <laughs> so you can see quickly how many calories you need. So uh, when I was training for 24 hour race a few years ago, I got a nutrition coach and I didn't believe him. Eat more, eat more. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But I, uh, we, we knocked it down, like basically in more depth than I'm giving you right now, but I needed to eat like a thousand grams of of carbs a day so if you know anything about the macros one gram of carbs equals four calories the 1000 grams of carbs equals 4000 calories and then you need protein because your body is not going to rebuild its muscle mass and has other um, uh, important things to do with that and then you also need fat or your hormones are going to get messed up so you just take a guess on how high the the calorie needs are now i'm big yes but then and like before I draw this back, my wife is 125 pounds. She's like five, five. She's pretty fit, but very lean an ectomorph. Uh, if you know, body type and she did the same, same test and she needs 25 to 3000 calories a day based on just regular exercise. So I don't care how small you are. If you're trying to do endurance sports and you're eating 2000 calories a day, you're under fueling. And if you want to perform, you need gas in the tank to uh, our drive to California example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. for sure. <laughs> awesome, man. So let the people know where they can find you, where they can follow you. For sure. So uh, I'm Bubbles the Clown on Instagram. Uh, clown ends in an E. Uh, it's really easy to uh, type in Bubbles the Clown, and I'm the one that's uh, not in makeup. And then uh, the gym is underdog underscore fitness CT on Instagram. That's where our most active. Uh, that's, that's the best place to find us. Awesome. Thanks. So again, Kevin Gregory, AKA bubbles, the clown, you can find him 
um, and Instagram. Uh, great tips, great stuff for DECA, great stuff for Spartan Races, OCR, nutrition, general fitness advice as well. Uh, thanks for coming on today, man. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>